Earlier this year, a year embroiled with political strife, racial tension, and of course, the COVID-19 pandemic, we continue to see more of the devastating effects of climate change. The wildfires of California seem to now occur with the same degree of consistency that we've come to expect out of some of our favorite television programs. Except that these fires prove more deadly and far-reaching every year, consuming more land and resources, and this year, one could allegedly see the plumes of smoke halfway across the country. I have never lived in California, nor have I ever been in a position to seriously consider evacuating my home. And while I am grateful for this fact, I cannot help but hear some of the music of Ryan Suleiman and feel the weight of fear and despair that must exist among those who live in these regions. Ryan has a lovely essay on what it's like to create music from such devastating sources of inspiration, which I've linked in the description. But he also has plenty of music that is joyful, playful, and spiritually uplifting. Ryan also has his own podcast called Reflections on Music and Nature, which is also linked below, and I highly suggest listening to some of those conversations. Since I went into some of his bio in the teaser, I won't go into that again, so if you haven't heard the teaser earlier, please do. My name is Luke Helker, and you're listening to Ears to the Earth. question I would, would like to ask you is how you got involved in this uh, this network of, of like-minded composers, considering how spread out most of you are uh, across the country. Sure. So um, I read an article on New Music Box um, that was written by Nell Shaw-Cohen, who's kind of the brainchild behind uh, landscape music. And you know, I, I just reached out to her to say, like, thank you for writing about this topic. This was maybe like five or six years ago and you know kind of before climate change was trendy I guess you could say um, so I just you know wrote to thank her for addressing this issue and something I've been thinking about as well and she sort of reached out and said hey why don't you join this collective and, uh, and I said yeah I'd, I'd love to right on had had you been aware of the some of these other composers in the in this network beforehand there was one of them, his name is escaping me, but there was one of them who I did meet um, at the Oregon Bach Festival, uh, in one of these composer summer festivals. Mm -hmm. um, so I've crossed paths with a few of them, but that, but none of them I particularly know. There is one who joined recently, Derek Keller. He's, you know, lives in Sacramento like me, so we, we've crossed paths a lot. Right on. And so... Being there's a, I noticed there's a, a fair amount of composers in in California. Is what's it, what's it like living in in California? Because it's my understanding that you're not originally from California. Is that correct? I am originally from oh, California. Are... Actually, it's funny. I know you're you're at University of Kansas. My mom grew up in Kansas. She's okay. from like the the Wichita area. So I'm actually a, sort of a Kansas transplant. I'm from uh, Pennsylvania originally. Okay. Um, well. Then I guess a, a good jumping off point would be, 
what's it like living in California that sort of, um, I lost my train of thought, that lends itself to, what is it about the sort of California environment that lends itself to having music written about it? Um, that's an interesting question. I think, well, something that in many of the conversations I've had with Nell are about place. I know that that's something that's very important for her and her music. And um, I mean, I grew up here, you know, in Northern California. So this is kind of my, this is really my home. Uh, and nature is something that I've always been interested in since, you know, my days as a teenager. I would, I would frequently take walks um along the river trail and that was kind of my place to clear my head and you know think about composition and get ideas and it's still basically the way i compose um is to get outside like a lot of people and nothing unique about that but um i think i mean so i think it's more of just me being in this environment and being influenced by the particular natural you know environment that, that i'm surrounded in um, and of course, California has sort of a reputation for environmentalism as well. And on top of that, we're one of, you know, one of the major places where climate change is playing out with, you know, wildfires and droughts. Um, and so I, for me, like nature had always been an important part of my music. And I'd always been aware of climate change as a potential issue, but it wasn't until the drought reached its kind of peak in 2013, 2014, that I became deeply disturbed by, you know, climate change. And I began reading more into the issue and realizing like, it's not something that's gonna happen in the future, it's gonna happen while we're alive. And it's actually happening now. It's not gonna happen, it is happening. So, um, so for me, that became like, I, if I'm gonna deal with the topic of nature, then I, the environmental destruction that's something I have to deal with too right like I'm not I can't I can't think about nature and separate it somehow from the imbalance of, of the ecosystem that we're seeing in our planet so the things I I just I'm I'm sort of striving to take in the whole of what nature means in our time I think do you think in your case then music is a vehicle for advocacy that's a very interesting question. That's that's something I think about a lot. Um, I mean, in a way, advocacy is the best tool for advocacy. Like music, um, like I don't want to write a piece that could be better written as an op-ed, you know? Like if, if, if somebody has something to say, some intelligent input to say about policy and about what science is telling us about climate change, you know, experts and scientists and, um, in journalists, these are the people best equipped to articulate the problem we have and the solutions out of it. But I, at the same time, you know, scientists have been doing this for decades and some and people haven't been listening to them. So I think the arts, I think every field has its kind of own unique role and to play in its own something that it's good at. Science is good at telling us what the problem is very clearly, right? And journalism helps articulate um, potential solutions, you know, policy experts can articulate solutions and ways of getting out of this or mitigating this. What the arts can help us do is grapple with the kind of philosophical and existential issues that we're facing, I think, because 
it's very scary to be living in a time where literally you're wondering, are, is our species going to survive? You know, like, will, I mean, will I be able to have children, right? Like, these are, these are real questions. These are not abstract questions. So it's, and I think what art is good at doing is helping us grapple with these things emotionally and helping, giving us space to contemplate and explore these issues. Um, so I think that's what art does best. Uh, at the same time, in terms of advocacy, it can definitely have the potential to do that too. Um, so I, you know, I, last year I wrote a piece called Burning, which, you know, is kind of, I guess, inspired by the, both the emotional and the um, kind of the physiological toll of wildfires in my state. Um, and, you know, that piece was, it was a very important piece for me to write. But then I also realized, like, if I'm going to write a piece and someone's going to pay me to write this piece, like, I, it feels like I have an obligation to do something in return, right? If I'm somehow benefiting from this really tragic circumstance. So what, so what I've, the solution I've kind of come up with is to give half of the royalties for performances of that piece towards planting trees. So in this, I think in this, and this is something a lot of artists do, I think is like, you know, it's not like I'm making so much money, but, but at least I can use, you know, what, what, uh, what kind of power that I do have to put it towards something that is, um, that can do good. So having my message or my ideal that's represented in the piece, that should be consistent with the way that I'm going about the work I'm doing, if that makes sense. Yeah, thank you. That there's a lot to unpack there, and I I I find myself agreeing with with most of what you're saying. It, to me, most of the music that I've encountered that has a sort of like natural element or environmental element seems to, or at least more often than not, sort of frame a experience or an emotion. But sometimes it's programmed in a way where it can be used for um focusing on a particular point of advocacy but the music itself is always generally just to allow the listener to insert themselves in the in the you know the feeling of of that particular experience whatever that may be um i want to actually zoom back out a little bit into something that may be a little more abstract because we talked you mentioned a little bit about just place in general and what, what exactly does place mean to you? Because uh, in my research, there's a lot to unpack with that word beyond just sort of the physical. There's a, there's a lot of sort of psychological um, aspects to, to place and how, how it affects us. And I'm wondering if, well, let's, let's start there. What, what, what does place mean to you? Um, well, I think, like you said, it can mean a lot of things, obviously physical space. Um, I think the environment that we grow up in, whether it's like social, you know, economic, um, and just the physical environment that affects our way of thinking, whether we realize it or not. Right. And so, um, you know, living where I live in California, like that affects my way of thinking and it affects the way that I think about the world, you know, the weather patterns that affects my 
psychological state, right? I mean, I think in anthropology, it's, it's understood that cultures are affected by their natural environment, right? And that's still the case. Um, so that's, yeah, just the natural environment that absolutely has an effect on, on our way of thinking consciously or sub or subconsciously. Um, yeah, place. I mean, yeah, mo there's emotional states as well, of course, that can be represented in music. Um, and of course, I mean, place is becoming like a very, something that we're dealing with now with the pandemic of, of not being able to gather in places, right? Like normally, normally a piece, a pl the place where a piece would be happening is in a concert hall um, or even outdoors or, what, or wherever it might be. And now that sense of place is very obscure. Like right now we're talking over a Zoom, right? You're in Kansas, I'm in California. So, but we're together on this call. So, um, so yeah, that, I mean, pieces happen in a place, right? Like, like a performance happens in, in a place where people are all together. And now with all the virtual performances happening, we're together separately, you know? So yeah, and from a performance, uh, standpoint. That's kind of something really interesting and bizarre that's that's happening now too. You sort of answered this a little bit already, but I'm curious to know how your perception of place has changed in the wake of uh, in the wake of COVID in these past few months. Yeah, well, um, like I said, I mean, there there are definitely some advantages to being to being working remotely right like the fact that we can have these conversations i mean this is something that we always to technology we've always had but has never really been utilized or we've never learned how to use it in the way that we are now um but now i think it's very normal to have conversations with colleagues that i've met like you know across the country on the east coast or in the middle of the country or from in other countries right it's so easy and i think like there's a ability to connect more quickly so that's definitely a good thing that has happened um but still i think but you know this whole crisis has confirmed for me something that i kind of already knew but i think is really just unavoidable now which is that music is community i think it's a community it's people gathering together to experience something as a sh together in a physical space it's it's things that happen before a concert things that happen after the concert things you know commentary in between intermission sarcastic remarks about some piece that you heard or you know reactions getting to talk to performers all of that stuff that's part of what music is you know sharing that space and it's like I mean, some people are afraid, like, oh, are we ever going to have live performance again? I mean, aside from the real devastating economic damage that's happening because of this pandemic and, and the, all the loss and the death, I mean, those are those are tragic things, but I don't think that live music is going to go away ever. There's, there's nothing that will ever replace that, and that has been confirmed for me over these long months. Aside from composing, what do you normally do to sort of stay sane? given all of these, uh, you know, this dramatic change to our uh, behaviors and routines. Right. Well, I'm very fortunate in that I've, you know, I haven't lost a significant amount of work. I'm still able to do my teaching remotely. So I'm very grateful for all of that. Um, but I mean, over the last months, I've been finishing my dissertation. So that's basically what I've been what I've been doing. But um, 
you know, I, I mean, definitely, yes, taking more walks, um, and, you know, spending time with my wife here, you know, that's all of that has been very, um, important and, you know, learning how to, I think in the beginning, a lot of us felt like, you know, before the pandemic, there's a lot of awareness around like the problem with spending too much time on social media and like, you know, so I've always, I've always made a very conscious effort to not be on social media uh, too much. And then when the pandemic happened, that became kind of the way to connect with people. But then I had to re-realize like, wait a minute, now I'm still spending an unhealthy amount again. So having a, a stronger awareness about my relationship with technology and um, being in control of that, that's been also very important as well. If you don't mind me asking, what, what is the subject of your dissertation? So my dissertation, um, it's two parts. Uh, one of the first part is a kind of, um, it's an analysis of Unsuk Chin's cello concerto, um, uh, which is a fantastic piece. And I look at it through the lens of, through kind of a music theory standpoint, through the lens of dreams. So I talk about like dreaminess and dream logic as ways of understanding the piece. In addition, I, I've also interviewed uh, performers and conductors of the piece to talk about their sort of phenomenological experience doing that piece. So for me, I'm trying to kind of, um, I'm trying to extend the idea of music theory beyond notes on a page and get it to be more um, inclusive of the actual experiences of performers. So like half of the paper is like just literal interviews with, um, with the performers who did this work. Um, and so it's my dog that you can probably hear drinking now. <laughs> um, so, so that's the, that's the kind of the paper aspect. The other half is my, um, piano concerto, which, um, is kind of a piece that I've wanted to write for many years, a, a concerto for piano. And that piece is basically, um, it's kind of my way of addressing Sort of my there's this something that I've been thinking about in terms of climate change and that the natural world is the fact that well you know we like there's still so much beauty that we're surrounded by and there's so much to be grateful for in like an, sort of everyday day-to-day -day experiences you know we still we can still take a walk we can still go outside when it's when there isn't you know uh, choked choking smoke here which was the case for a long period of time we couldn't go we couldn't go outside and we couldn't yeah, we were we were really forced to be inside during that time. You know, we didn't even we weren't even in the situation of like you know losing our home or anything. Again, like everything was fine, but but we really couldn't even go for a walk at that point. But um, but but again, like we you know we're still surrounded by a great deal of beauty in the natural world, but then at the same time we also know that our days are numbered. So for me, my concerto attempts to reconcile. There's my dog again. The ideas of um, of beauty and dread, kind of at the same time, and the way that I do that is um, I sort of use the uh, metaphor of a clock strike. So I'm kind of inspired by like the doomsday clock, where midnight represents um, the end of the world. And uh, so throughout the piece, like there's this parallel narrative of clock strikes that happens within that are within each of the movements. Um, across the movements that that is sort of a bizarre thing that doesn't belong kind of like the um 
I always uh, talk about like the monolith in uh, in Space Odyssey 2001. You know that that sort of like or the I think it's called the obelisk that just appears in these scenes, which is like this alien spaceship, and it doesn't make sense, but it's in all these different scenarios. So that's kind of like the the analogy that I use to describe that. Um, yeah, those clock strikes, which which are telling us that you know the end keeps getting closer and closer, but like at the same time, like we're still enjoying our lives to a certain extent. It's like this weird kind of contradictory thing. That's so cool. I can't wait to uh, to hear that. Um, in well, I I'm curious about some of the pieces that that you feel best exemplify uh, your your work as a composer. Um, or I guess maybe your compositional voice, whatever, whatever way you think um, you best answer that question. Sorry, that was a little jumbled. No, it's okay. Um, I think, well, definitely up to this point, that piano concerto probably I, at least now. I mean, who knows what I'll think a year from now or, or two years from now? But at this point, I feel like that concerto probably is my most successful attempt to kind of bring together the various ideas that I've had about nature because I mean a lot of pieces that deal with nature um, come at it from kind of a programmatic angle of like depicting you know fire or depicting some kind of scenic element which like is a perfectly valid way of composing coming up with music it's, it's something that I've done myself but I find a lot more interesting um, the kind of philosophical aspect of of nature like what does nature mean and what is what is you know geologic time, right? Like that's something that's that has become more important to me in thinking about the potential end of our species is like the idea of geologic time and how you know in the grand scheme of things we're not really that important, you know, and we will we will leave the earth at some point and sooner or later, and everything will continue without us. So that's become interesting to me. Um, in terms of other pieces, yeah, bur I think Burning definitely, I feel like, um, was a kind of one of my more successful pieces. Um, and I have a string quartet that uh, called Thought Bubbles that takes a similar, the form is similar to the piano concerto as well. It's like a set of miniatures that has kind of a parallel narrative um, that manifests in a little bit of a different way. Um, Right now, I'm working on a piece for Left Coast Chamber Ensemble um, that's based on a poem by uh, the Lebanese-American poet, Khalil Gibran. And, um, and that poem, it's, it's um, so this, this piece is it's commissioned with the idea that it's going to be performed in a virtual setting. So the, so the soprano will be either on a Zoom call or pre-recorded, and she will be singing with like against an ensemble at a sort of like digital distance in a digital manner. And um, this poem called The Robin that I that I came across, it um, it captures like this idea of, um, I, for me at least, isolation very, very beautifully. You know, the speaker imagines that they're a, a robin who is carefree, who, you know, um, it's just taking, you know, in the moment, not worrying about the future or the past. And I think all of us would like to be that Robin who is just sort of gracefully and beautifully existing. So, um, 
So that's been actually, I thought I was too tired to write another piece at this point and too overwhelmed with everything going on in the world. I think a lot of artists feel that way. And, you know, I, and I think a lot of people are just taking a break um, from creating anything. And I think that's totally understandable. But in, in the end, I'm actually happy that I had the opportunity to write this piece because I feel like that's also saying something that I didn't really know I needed to say. And when is that piece uh, intended to be released or premiered? So that will be premiered virtually, of course, in, uh, I think it's January 25th. And the program is called Long Distance Call. So a good friend of mine, Laura Schwartz, uh, she's, she'll also have a piece on that concert. And there will be a piece by George Lewis and Luis Ferenc as well. So. Right on. So you might hear from my dog, by the way. I, I might have to kick no him out. Just, no just a heads up. That's OK. Um, when did you when did you first sort of realize that you needed or wanted to compose music about nature or I guess when was your first sort of endeavor of trying to to articulate nature through music um I think that would probably be uh when I was an undergrad uh I wrote a solo piano set of like miniatures for solo piano called Under Moonlight. Um, and that those pieces are kind of like a mystic imagining of a walk at night along the American River, which is the river that I was kind of referencing earlier. Um, so like there's different moves that happen, like there's fanfare for the setting sun. Uh, and then there's Dance of the Night Creatures, which is like this kind of imaginary, you know, yeah, festival or something of, of the creatures. And um, yeah, that would probably be, that would probably be the first time I, I've done it in a kind of a direct way like that. And so throughout, throughout school, were you able to, I'm trying to think of, the, I guess, what are your sort of, musical influence that either contributed or detracted to writing about music inspired by nature? Um, musical influence as well. Um, Olivier Messiaen is kind of like what definitely a big influence um, to the point that I actually, I actually have kind of banned myself from listening to his music anymore because I feel like somehow it just resonates with me so much that I need to be careful with how much I'm borrowing or stealing from him. But, um, you know, I know you're, you're uh, studying uh, John Luther Adams, so that's definitely a composer that is interesting to me, too, um, in his relationship with nature. Um, and I think, I mean, I actually think that, like, what's very unusual is a, com a composer that doesn't address nature in some way. I think that's more... I would. I wonder if there are any composers who have never been influenced by nature in some way. Because I think, like, uh, this is you know, as we mentioned before, like this is a topic that's been really interesting to me. And I've been talking with other musicians, like you know, like you have as well, about this topic. And some people I've had responses who have said, like, well, I mean, I would be interested to talk to you, but like, I don't know what kind of expert am I. Like, I, it's not really my thing, you know. But, but actually, I think it's everyone's thing. I mean, some people maybe spend more time thinking about it than others. 
but I think, um, but it's like, it's inescapable, right? We, we think we're separated from it, but we're really not. So, so yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but. No, it does. And it's admittedly, it's one of the issues with having a, a podcast that's sort of related to this particular subject. I don't know if you've encountered the same thing with, with yours, but, but, you know, you're absolutely right. Everybody is influenced by their surroundings, uh, whether it be, you know, outdoors in nature or the more insular, uh, apartment or wherever they've been, you know, pen up these, these past few months. And so and urban settings too. Mm-hmm. Like I, I talked with, um, Marty Epps, uh, Epstein, uh, and she's a, one of my favorite composers and she, um, was talking about, you know, life in Boston right now, or I guess those many months ago in the beginning of the pandemic where she would go outside and the sounds of trains would take on a whole different meaning for her because, um, you know, it was kind of thought that you're not supposed to ride the train because social distancing is not so possible. Whereas in normal, you know, trains, the meaning of those, the meanings of those sounds change based on like our association with them. Right. Like, so trains normally mean like, yeah, it's, it's a kind of an everyday sound. You know, if you live in a city where, yeah, it's the hustle and bustle of, of people around and, and if it, and, you know, we're often striving for silence and for quietude and it can be a very peaceful thing. But then when that silence is attached to something like death or loss or, you know, COVID restrictions, then it takes on a whole another, a much more eerie quality. And that's something for me that's related to some of the ideas I've dealt with in the orchestra piece burning as well, like, like, like watching the, the sky in California during the, during the fires, like, it's a very like spectacular phenomenon to behold, like, like these orange skies, but they have like, it's a, it's very dark because of what we know, because of all the heaviness and all the, all of the sort of meaning that is attached to it. So, um, so yeah, environment, it can, I think should be thought of in a very broad way. I totally agree. And I think, you know, one of the, you know, the, the abstractness, or at least not only the abstractness, but this, the highly subjective individualized nature of, of nature also makes it somewhat difficult to really dissect, at least in a way that is conducive for uh, an academic setting sometimes, um, which I guess kind of leads me then to shifting the conversation towards towards your uh uh i guess video podcast or or interview series your uh, reflections on on music and nature um i've seen a couple of them um and i'm curious i guess what you know what the sort of impetus for this was um how the project is going you know any plans to continue continue it uh, uh as it stands yeah um so this idea of interviewing people for their um, thoughts on this topic, um, it's something I've been kind of fantasizing about for a long time and just never got off my butt to do it, basically. And when the pandemic happened, um, you know, I felt I felt like really moved to see all the sacrifices that people were making um, to help uh, their community, you know, healthcare workers risking their lives people, you know, working, who are still working, you know, in grocery stores, delivering mail, all these, all the same, 
I mean, COVID cases are higher than they were in the beginning when this feeling of panic. I think we're unfortunately we're kind of numb to the loss that's happening around us. But like all these acts that people are doing are so still so heroic. And I felt like I need I needed to do something to contribute somehow. And so I just felt like these I mean, these conversations that I have there, of course, I have sort of curiosities and questions like yourself about about this topic. And I'm interested to hear what other people are thinking because I'm thinking about it, too. But, you know, I also I hope that these conversations will help others answer these questions for themselves. You know, like other people watching, I hope other artists watching who might be um, at a loss for how to address, you know, these issues of nature and climate change in their work. Um, you know, I hope that hearing other people can kind of inspire them and give them ideas. And that's kind of been my goal with those with those series. Um, and so I think and I think it's been kind of successful in, in that just exploring these issues and hearing what other people have to say. Um, I sort of took a break from it since I was finishing up my dissertation. Um, and I figured with the election going on, like, I don't know if many people are going to really be tuning in to that. But um, but I definitely um, have plans to continue it. I've done 11 sort of episodes and um, and yeah, and I, and I got a lot of interest. I, had, I still have like a list of people who reached out to me, you know, wanting to chat. And so I'm really grateful for that. And I'm definitely, um, yeah, I'm definitely planning to continue in probably sometime next year. I appreciate what you were saying before about like having something to contribute the one thing that's been you know i that i've struggled with lately is is what i could do as a student who's you know in the practice room all day and you know it's it's there's not a lot of motivation to do scales when all that stuff is happening sometimes totally agree yeah i know i know the feeling and trying to trying to sort of sculpt the sort of sculpt my academic future in a way that feels like I'm not only, you know, checking the boxes that I need to in order to graduate and get out of here, but to also sort of contribute to the world at large. Uh, I mean, I don't have an I don't have an answer for that or anything. I'm just an observation. Well, we're in the same boat, I think. I mean, like, I totally agree with that. It feels like why are we? Why are we sitting here? Like, what good is it going to do if I write this piano concerto that is like never going to be, you know, well, not never, but at this point, not going to really, gonna, I mean, concertos, it's like the, the most impractical thing I could possibly do right now. Um, but, but I think it's like, it's easy, I think, for us, you know, as creative people to like write off sometimes what we're doing, but it still has value because I think it's kind of like I was saying before about, um, you know, the role of different kind of different people in our society. Like we like, I think the need for science is obvious and easy to understand for most people. But um, I think the need for art, just partly because of, I think, the sort of like product driven capitalistic nature of our mindset kind of makes it hard for us to, um, to put value on something that's so intangible as art. But but it's so important because it affects, I mean, it affects the way we think. It helps us understand the world, you know, and it helps us kind of center ourselves mentally and emotionally. And that's like, that's, I mean, that's maybe the most valuable thing. Like philosophy, you know, like 
I mean, it's easy to say, to criticize philosophy, like, oh, what's the point of philosophy? But, but actually, philosophy is, like, the most important thing because they're asking about, like, why are we here? Like, what could be more important than that? This may be rephrasing a question that I've already asked. Um, if, if, if I were to recommend your, your music to someone who uh, has never heard of you before, what, what piece would you recommend? A particular piece? Mm-hmm. Or, or I mean, as many pieces as you want, I suppose. <laughs> uh, I think probably the string quartet, Thought Bubbles. That's how I feel at this point. And if you're, if for those who might be curious about the piano concerto on my website, I do have a sort of demo of that with, um, with MIDI, with a very high quality MIDI replica. And uh, my wife, who will be the soloist, she's playing some of the cadenza as well. So there's kind of a demo of that. But uh, yeah, probably Thought Bubbles would be what, I would, what my answer would be. And And what is it, I guess, about Thought Bubbles that is, I guess, the best representation of, of, of you and, and your music? Well, it's a set of miniatures, which actually is not something that I do. Probably the last time I wrote miniatures was the piano piece in undergrad that I mentioned before. Um, so it, it's actually a different format for me. But but what I, what I like about it is that I'm able to kind of... Um, be in all these different modes, um, you know, in within one piece. So each of the miniatures are kind of like one, each of them could be one much longer piece that I just cut off, you know, and each of them are maybe a minute or two minutes long. And so, um, so I think it covers like a wide breadth of what my style is. And also the performance is amazing. Um, Daedalus Quartet did that piece. Um, and it's it just, they sound amazing. So what, I guess, what is on, what's on the horizon or what's on the, the, the docket for you moving forward? I know you, you mentioned you had the, the premiere with left coast. Is there anything else, uh, that, that I can sort of turn people on to? Sure. So, um, at the moment, not too much, which I think is kind of a little bit of a relief, but at the same, um, but I, you know, I wrote a piece, um, a sort of mini opera with a fiction writer, Tina Frias, who, or, you know, she goes by Christina Frias, who, um, you know, is an incredible fiction writer. We both went to UC Davis. And uh, we have sort of made it um, into the first round of this kind of like very interesting competition slash potential commission from uh, West Edge Opera in San Francisco. So West Edge Opera is a kind of a smallish opera company that does a lot of contemporary work in addition with some of the old stuff. And, you know, they're doing this um, series called Aperture where they um, they ask for, you know, proposals for operas and it has kind of a social media element to it. And you can hear teams kind of propose new operas. And so there's kind of three rounds to this process, selection process. So we're one of 20 people who have who are into the kind of the first round or 20 teams, I should say. And, you know, so we have a new work that could could turn into a, we have a proposal that could turn into a new work or could just be in the drawer for, you know, the next opportunity that comes around. So we're hoping that pans out. And that would be, you know, you can check out um, West Edge 
Opera's um, Aperture uh, site for information about that. And we're hoping that that will continue into kind of the spring of next year. Sounds great. Well, Ryan, thank you so much. I appreciate for all your time and words and insights. It's fantastic. Thank you. Luke, thank you. Really enjoyed doing this and um, best of luck with the rest of the series. I can't wait to hear um, the rest of it. Thanks. I appreciate it. Thank you.